Good morning, glad to be here. Happy New Year. Isn't it crazy that it's 2023? Uh, I, you know, some of us probably thought we'd never see this day, and, uh, but we're still here. And so, so glad to be with you this morning. And, um, and so I want to start off today about talking about some of our fears. I think most of us are afraid of something. And if you can go ahead and go to the next slide with the pictures on it. You'll see that some of us are afraid of uh, spiders and snakes. And I'm going to be dating myself a little bit here, but back in 1974, Jim Stafford wrote a song that he's saying, I don't like spiders and snakes, right? Some of you are shaking your heads about that. Yeah, you know, I'm okay with the um, little spiders I usually find in my house or, you know, the little snakes, uh, gardener snakes or whatever. But I I have to be honest, if, if... uh, a tarantula or a boa constrictor or something like that, if I was to walk right up to that, I think you would see that I'm afraid of spiders and snakes, okay? But for the most part, I'm not, but sometimes I am, depending on what kind they are. Now, some of the other thing that we're afraid of is maybe our uh, fear of heights. Some of us don't like to be way up. Now, I, uh, for 36 years, I installed AV systems, sound systems, and so I did a lot of churches like this, and so I would have been uh, that high. If you look up where the fans are, I would have been up that high, and heights never bothered me. Until one day, I decided to cut down uh, one of my 60-foot trees that are in in my yard, and no problem, I cut the tree down, but I still had to get the trunk and stuff down. And, and so I, I was on an eight or 10 foot ladder, I can't remember, and I was on the chainsaw, and uh, I was using the chainsaw, and um, I was cutting and cutting and cutting, and I finally made it through, and I went right with it. I went right over the tree and the chainsaw in my hand, and luckily, you, you, you know, kind of, I hope you find this funny, is that um, between my house and the garage is right, kind of re- one of the reasons why I cut the tree down was a power line. And what the chiropractor said, what saved my life was, is I grabbed a hold of the power line on my way down. And it was a good thing I did because I was going head first. And if I wouldn't have grabbed the power line, I probably would have broke my neck. And so... After that moment, um, and the other funny thing was about that story is my wife and daughter were, they were like 10 feet away from me, and they never saw it happen. Just never saw it. And they're like, what are you doing down here? And I'm like, because I just fell. That's what I'm doing down here. And so it gave me kind of an appreciation of heights after that. And so I I, I remember I went to... uh, uh, amusement park, I love roller coasters, and they have some of these rides where you're dropped. And I was with my uh, coworker, the guy that I worked with all my life, and, and when that thing dropped, I screamed like a crazy, I don't know what was, he goes, what was that? And I'm like, I don't know, but it was right after I had fallen out of that trees. And so some of us are afraid of heights, and, um, but, and then some of us are afraid of the dark. Some of us don't like the things that maybe happen sometimes in the dark. And, and I'm not usually afraid of the dark, uh, but I, I don't know what happened. During Christmas break, I decided uh, to watch this movie, and um, it, the, the uh, kind of the intro and the advertisements for it didn't really tell much about it. And it wasn't until about halfway or three-quarters of the way through, I found out it was a vampire movie. 
And I was like, what is this? And so since I was that far into it, I continued to watch it. And then right after that, I watched Criminal Minds. Right be, and so I watch these two things right before I go to bed. And I'm like, well, maybe I am now afraid of the dark. Um, but I'm usually not afraid of the dark. My biggest trouble with the dark is I can't see in the dark, and I'm always stubbing my toes on stuff. Now, one of the, the last thing I wanted to kind of share with you is some of us are afraid of what I'm doing right now, afraid of public speaking. You would rather be doing anything else but public speaking. You'd be like that person on the screen where they're hiding, they're literally hiding under the pulpit. And, you know, if I'm being honest, there's times when, you know, it scares me. It, it's hard to get up and talk in front of people. And um, I think sometimes as ministers, um, you know, sometimes Satan likes to get in our heads a little bit. And so we may have had something happen maybe the week before or the night before, and, and you start to get these thoughts, and we have to kind of struggle through sometimes our sermons with that, that other voice in the back of our head. And that didn't, that didn't happen too long ago for me. And so public speaking can be one of our fears. Now, these are what I would call some of our normal fears but then I thought, what about the last couple of years? I think we have some new ones, a couple new ones. And one of, the, one of them I would put on the list is that we are afraid of COVID or some new strand of it, right? We never had that fear until 2020, until COVID hit. And, you know, and so from here on out, you know, again, we get another strand of it, a strand of it another strand of it, another strand of it. And so, you know, for good reason, we may have a fear, and some people have fear of COVID and all that goes along with that. But another one I want to share with you is that we're, I don't know what has happened in the last couple of years, but we are afraid of someone else's opinion. And, and here's what I mean. There's a new trend called the cancel culture. Which, says, which essentially means, if I don't like what you have to say, I'm going to cancel you, okay? If, if, and I'm not only going to stop, I'm going to stop talking to you, I'm going to delete you from all my social media and all those kind of things. And so, um, like if you're a Democrat or a Republican, sorry, I can't have a conversation with you. If you believe in God and what all that entails, sorry, you're canceled. Right? If you don't agree with, uh, agree with my stance on marriage, sexual gender, or abortion, right? not only can we not be friends anymore, but I never want to talk to you or see you again. What has happened to the day when you could have a conversation with somebody, disagree with them, but still get along with them? What has happened to those days? And so this is, these are a couple new fears, and it's kind of scary. And I get it. I get it. We have a lot to be afraid of, right? But here's kind of my main point today. We shouldn't be afraid of anything because of the one who is leading us, and that is God. And God, in this scripture, in this book, has taught us not to fear. He's actually taught us to be strong and courageous. And so if you could go back to the verses, thank you very much. Let's look at these verses for a moment from Joshua 1, 7, 8. It says, be strong and courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. You see, if we apply 
If we follow and apply these verses and many more in Scripture, you will see that God has taught us not to fear. God has shown us over and over again if we trust in him, right, he will lead us through. Just look at some of the Old Testament examples of the patriarchs. Look at, look at Abraham, Abraham, for example, right? Let me read from you a little bit from Genesis chapter 12, the call of Abraham. The Lord had said to Abraham, Abram, go from the country of your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. So here's Abram and Sarah, Sarai, and it becomes Abraham and Sarah later, and they, um, they leave everything behind, right? They leave their land and all that stuff, and, God, and, go, and they go wherever God tells them to go. And a matter of fact, a little later on, they, never, they didn't have any children. And at the nice age of 90, Sarah's 90 and, and Abraham's 100, and God tells them, you're going to have a child. Well, I can see a lot of us going at 90 and 100, we're going to have a child. What are you talking about, God? Right? And Sarah, Sarah, it says in Scripture, Sarah laughed about that. Right? But he did. And he blesses them. And, but now go further along in Abraham's story where he finally has his child, Isaac, and, Isaac, and God tells him, I need you to take your son Isaac up to the mountain and to sacrifice him. And Abraham does it without hesitation. He gathers all the wood and he even gets to the point to where he lays his son Isaac on the wood. He's just about ready to start the fire and all of a sudden God says, time out. I've just supplied to you a perfect lamb. You see, Abraham trusted in God, trusted in his vision and his plan. Look at Again, Isaac, and Isaac winds up having a couple of sons, Esau and Jacob, and they have some of their struggles where Jacob kind of steals Esau's birthright, and so Jacob was afraid of him. So he leaves for a while, but then he, come, he kind of comes back and he wrestles with God. And, and out of Jacob, uh, he renamed Israel, and out of that comes the Israelites, all the sons that he has. And the youngest son he has is Joseph, which was kind of his favorite and because of it, he gives him this fancy robe. And as a sibling, the siblings weren't too happy with that, right? And then on top of it, he has a couple dreams. And he tells them, he tells them how they're going to bow down to him one day. And again, as siblings, we don't want to hear that kind of stuff from our brother or sister, right? And so they, at first they want to kill him, but instead they, they sell him into slavery, but here's the cool thing about Joseph's life. No matter where he went, he followed God, trusted God, and was always second in command. So much so, he winds up in Egypt as a second in command, and there's this great famine going on, and his brothers have to now come to him. And Joseph says to them at the end of Genesis, what you guys did for bad and I'm paraphrasing this, what you made for bad, God made for good. And so Joseph trusted God. And then you have Moses, and here comes Moses, who was kind of, because of what was going on with the king, what kinds of, gets where he's raised as an Egyptian. And then, but he knows he's an Israelite. 
And he sees the Egyptians being mad to the Israelites, so he kills one of, one of the Egyptians. And then because of that, he, he's afraid, he goes off. He goes away for several years, but God, and all of a sudden he's out in the desert shepherding, and all of a sudden he sees a burning bush. And God says to him, you're going to lead my people out of Egypt. You're going to lead them into the promised land. And so these men, these patriarchs, they, they trusted God, right, to not fear because God had a vision to lead them through. And so I want to spend the rest of our dime today talking about someone else who trusted God to not fear, and that was Joshua. You see, Joshua was handed the reins um, from Moses and was given the important task of leading, leading the Israelites into the promised land. But there was one problem. There was plenty to fear. Other nations of great size occupied that land. And so, he, and so they were going to have to fight for it. But more importantly, they were going to have to trust God's vision to lead them, to not fear because he was in charge. So I think in, in your notes or in your Bibles, I'd like us to turn. We're going to, again, we're going to spend a lot of time or the rest of our time in Joshua. And so I'd like to start at Joshua chapter 1 and to read the first few verses here. Joshua, at this point, is being installed as the leader. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give you, to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, and all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. You see, one way to not fear is because of the promise God gave them. In your notes, you can fill in the word promise. But because of God's promise, they needed not to fear because he was leading the way. Because of God's promise, Joshua, Joshua and all the people could be strong and courageous. But as we read a moment ago from verses 7 and 8, their success was not guaranteed. Right? They had to be careful to obey all the law of Moses. They had to stay on the path, not venturing off to the left or right and to meditate on it. And just like for them, for us, this book should be part of our DNA. This book should be part of our individual vision. This, everything in this book, we should be applying and living this should not only be our individual vision, but this should also be your church's vision to follow what this book has to say. We should know this book so well that we will know not to fear because of what God promises. Again, pro he promises that he's leading the way, right? He promises, uh, he promises us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. So I have, some, I have a question for you this morning. Why then 
do we still fear? Why then do we still turn away or fall off the path and do it our way? Why then do we not trust in him who promises us that he has taken our sins away and has given us eternal life? If any of these questions are true for us this morning, we need to immediately stop and repent. We need to turn back to God because he promises to lead the way. So one of the ways for us to not fear, to understand God's vision, is for us to know and trust in God's promises that he gives us. Now God shows us another part of his vision to not fear in chapter 3, starting at verse 1. So if you'd like to turn there. Now this is right before they're going to cross the Jordan. And some people always think, well, the Red Sea was the only place where God parted the waters. But as you'll see in this, in this reading, that was not the only place. He also does it in the Jordan. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went through the camp, giving orders to the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits or 3,000 feet between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Skipping down to verse 14. It says, so when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage, all, all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priest who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathan. While the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all, the Israel, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completely crossed the Jordan on dry, on dry ground. So the second point today of to not fear is because of God's power. The, to prove it, let me expand on these verses a little bit. So let's, I think one of the things that we need to do when we read Scripture is to put ourselves in the story, in the context. So think about where they're at right now. They're just about ready to call, cross the Jordan River. They've been camped. Thousands and thousands of people. The scripture tells them that when you see the Ark of the Covenant go before you, you're supposed to get ready. Not, and you're supposed to prepare yourself before you get ready. Consecrate yourself, which means wash your clothes, wash your body, abstain from sexual relations. Because God is going to do something amazing. They could feel it in their bones that he was just about ready to do something Amazing. So put yourself in that story. And look at, the ver and look at the verses in your notes. 
It says, so when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. Some of us might think, well, that's no big deal. But it is a big deal because God's power is revealed. And what does that mean? What, what, what does that mean in these verses? Well, it tells us the distance that the water stopped flowing. It was about around 20 miles that it stopped flowing. Plenty of room for them to cross. And some people say, well, what's flood stage? Well, we don't know exactly know what flood stage is, but the Jordan River normally is 90 to 100 feet across and 3 to 10 feet deep. In 1854, an expert swimmer at flood stage tried to swim across the Jordan. He didn't make it. He couldn't make it. Because the water, the water had stretched out so far and the, and the stream was so fast, there's no way that he could get across. Now think about it for now. Again, put yourself in the story. So here are, are the, the, the priests, the Levites, walking up to this massive body of water that is flowing. And all they had to do was put their foot in it and the water stopped flowing. You want to talk about God's power. Did Joshua do it? Did he make the water stop? Did the Levites, the priests do it? No. Who did it was God. It's God's power who did it. When you put yourself in the story and imagine being there, I think all of us would have had goosebumps. I think all of us would go, whoa, what just happened? And that's what we have to do as we read the text. If we read further in Joshua, we see God's power demonstrated over and over again. Many nations, cities, and kings were defeated. Walls fell down. The sun and time stood still. Only God's power could have made this happen. Only God's vision for us to not fear could have made these things happen. Listen to this. God's power should drive out any fear that we have. God's power should drive out any fear that we have. 1 John 4.18 says this. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made in perfect love. God's true love is powerful. When people are connected to it, they have nothing to fear. It said several times in the book of Joshua that the other nations were afraid. <laughs> well, they had good reason to be afraid because they weren't following the true God, right? And they knew in their hearts they weren't. They were worshiping other false gods and idols. They were sacrificing their kids to them. Their depravity had taken over. They had chose to be evil all the time. They had good reason to fear because of the choices they had made. Even, even though we as believers know God and the vision to not fear, we still have to make good choices. We can't just do whatever we want. That'd be nice, huh? But like I said before, like I said before we have to be very careful to follow God's ways. And so there's a story, another story in Joshua I want to share with you 
that kind of talks about that, kind of drives this point home. Because I've been saying how to not fear. But this point is to fear because of Achan's sin. Achan replied, it is true, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with silver underneath. When they went into battle with Jericho, God gave them specific instructions to not take any of the devoted things, any of the plunder, but Achan did. Not only did he take them, but he hid them. Can I just say something obvious right now? If you have to hide something, it's probably a pretty good indication that you have wronged somebody, right? If you have to hide something, you know, I mean, I mean, how, many, how many times have our kids hid stuff from us, right? We know that they're doing something wrong usually when they're hiding stuff from us. Well, here Achan wrongs God, and if we were to continue to read, we see that it doesn't end well for him or his old, whole family. You see, he had reason to fear because of the punishment that would come along with it. Back then, if you did something wrong, not only did you get punished, but everyone that you were associated with got punished. See, there was a reason, though, why God told them not to take the devoted things or the plunder. He told them, he knew that if they took them, that they would take their eyes off of him. So I have some more questions for you this morning. What is, what is some of the plunder in your life that has made you take your eyes off God? What are you following? Is it a hobby? We have, uh, we had this, uh, at our church, we had this uh, young couple, they, uh, they had two kids. They were really growing in their faith. They were coming to church. The kids were really getting plugged into uh, kids' ministry and that kind of stuff. And then one day, the dad decided that he was going to bowl on Sunday morning. And we never saw them again. Do you see how his choice affected everyone in his family? He saw something that he liked to do and it took his eyes off of God. What else? Is it money? Are you so driven by money that that drives your whole life? Is it your kids or grandkids? Now, for those of you who don't know me, I'm, I'm married. I have one daughter. She's 26 now. She, and we have our first grandbaby. He's 17 or 18 months old. And this kid is crazy. This grandkid is crazy. And so I love them with all of my heart. I do. But they don't come before the Lord. My, my, I, and this is, I don't know if I can prove this in Scripture or not, but this is, this is my priority level. You can take it or leave it. God's number one. My wife is number two. My daughter's number three. My grandkids and then work and school and all those other things. You see, and when those, I've seen it over and over again, when those get out of order, people's lives start chaos. When, when the mom or the dad puts the kid before the spouse, 
This is where we, the couples start to have struggles. When I put my wife on a pedestal before God, this is when our marriage starts to have struggles. We both, need to, both of us need to be rooted in who Christ is. What else? Is it, is it sports? A lot of us, these holiday season, we've all been engulfed in the football playoffs or basketball and, you know, or, or just look at the World Cup. You want to talk about some fanatics there, right? You watch those games and those, those people are all in to soccer, to their football. Is it work? Are we so driven by the next promotion that we run over everybody in our path? You see, none of these things are bad in moderation, right? But if, but if they take our eyes off God, like Achan did, we are done for. If they distract us from reading scripture or prayer or listening to the Holy Spirit or coming to church, we are done for. Don't let the shiny plunder get you. I'll speak for the, to the men just for a moment. Men, don't let the sexy woman on your computer screen or on your phone get you. Don't, ha- don't let having one more of whatever that is get you. Don't let the new toy get you. You see, if we do, it, will, it could lead us to sin and will lead us to fear. We already know that's not God's vision for us. His vision for us is to not fear, and the only way we can do that is by not taking our eyes off of him for a second. I get that none of us are perfect. Romans 3.23 tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So it's not when, we, you know, we're going to fall at some point. But when we do, we have to repent and be restored to righteousness. And so how do we do that? Again, this book tells us, 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If you're hiding something today, confess it. Get that monkey off your back. The longer you hold on to that monkey, the heavier it gets. And not only will you get rid of the monkey, but you'll get rid of the fear that goes along with it. And so I want to end today with one last point. And it's to not fear and to serve the Lord. Let me read to you Joshua 22.5. It says, but be very careful to keep, keep the commandments and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands, to hold fast, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. Kind of added those there. You want to talk about a great verse to memorize. How do, how do we defeat Satan is by having God's words on our hearts. And so I, I would encourage you that just Joshua 22.5 passage to memorize it. And we've talked about a lot of these, so I want to focus on serving the Lord. We can know that Moses did because it calls him a servant of the Lord, which means he did it with every ounce of his heart and soul. Just another little context here. This was the first time the word serve had been used in Joshua. 
They're towards the end of the, it's towards the end of the book. Joshua calls in the military men of the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half tribe of Manasseh, and essentially thanks them for their service and tells them that they can now go back across the Jordan. Because remember, there was 12 tribes, two and a half of them lived on the east side of the Jordan, the other nine and a half lived on the west side. And so he's telling them right now, you've done your part, you've helped us with the battle, now go back to your family. But he gives them these parting words here in Joshua 22.5 because he knows how quickly people can stray from God. He's encouraging them to stay connected to God, and one of the ways we can do that is by serving him. Which leads me to another question. What are some of the ways that we can serve the Lord? Here comes our application time. Well, one of the ways is we can be obedient to him with what I call our the three T's, our time, talent, and tithe. We should be giving 10% of our time, 10% of our talent, whatever that means, and 10% of our money. Another way we can be faithful to him is by sticking with him during the good and the bad times. I've seen it over and over again where a lot of times people are drawn to God in the bad times. But we have to be careful to stick with him during the good times, never wavering from him. In Mark 8, Jesus said for us to take up our cross daily and follow him. In other words, to die to self and live for Jesus. I don't think most people really know or understand what the cost is. Sometimes we might lose, because of our belief in Christ, we might lose some of our friends. We might lose some of our family members. We might even lose our job, right? There is a cost for following Jesus. Another way to serve him is to be a good witness for him with our words and actions. Do you realize wherever you're at, you are advocate, advocating for Christ. So even if you're in the uh, drive-through line and it's taking forever, if we pull up, finally get up to the window and we rip off their head because it took so long, how is that advocating for Christ? Right? When, we're, when we have our kids and, and they're driving us literally nuts, if we go and, and, and tear their heads off, how is that advocating for Christ? And so we have to be a good witness 24-7 for God. That's the one way that we can serve him. Another way to serve him is to teach the next generation about him. Do our, we need to ask ourselves, do our children know God and are they serving him? Are we following what it says in Joshua 24, 15b, where it says, for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Do our friends and coworkers know him? What does our witness look to them? Can they tell a difference between us and the secular world? I love what uh, Kay Arthur, she's the co-founder of Precepts Ministry, Bible teacher and award-winning author, she has a few sayings about servings. I, I love her sayings. You can't love God and not serve him. Think about the people that you love in your life. At some point, if, because you love them, you serve them, don't you? 
One of the other things she says, we all serve something or someone, kind of goes back to maybe our hobbies or sports. So why not serve God? Her last one was, we can't serve God on our terms. We can't pick and choose what is in here, right? We can't pick and choose who we're going to love, right? We can't do it on our terms. And I hardly touched on this book of Joshua today, and there's so much more to it, but the biggest thing I learned as I was putting this together from these passages is that God leads the way, and there's no reason for me to fear because of it. Right? This book, the, our faith is on his terms. It's his vision. And all they had to do was follow it. And guess what? That's all we have to do is follow it. It's not that complicated. I think sometimes we overcomplicate it. Joshua 24, 15b again says, But for me, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So my encouragement, my prayer to you, to every household, is that every household in Jackson, Michigan, United States, the world, comes not only to know that verse, but to follow it. Could you imagine what, would, what, the world, what our world would be like if we did, if we followed those verses, if everyone followed those verses? Hate would disappear. Division would disappear. We would be serving everyone. We would be loving everyone. Think about a world like that. I think what it really sounds like is I think that's pretty what heaven's going to be like, pretty close to what heaven's going to be like. And so I hope I have driven home the point today. If you're living in some kind of a fear, you don't have to be. That's not God's vision for us. All we have to do is hand it over to him and trust him. Trust his vision for us and that he's leading the way. Amen? Let me pray. Lord, today as we have gone through your scriptures from the book of Joshua, I pray that we would trust you. I pray that we wouldn't take our eyes off of you that we would seek you. And Lord, I pray that not only that, but that we would share all these words, all the good news, all the love that is in, in this book with others. Lord, help us to listen to the Holy Spirit of who that might be in our lives. Maybe it's our kids, maybe it's our friends, maybe it's our coworkers. Help us to be like Joshua was and to be strong and courageous and to not fear and to share the good news of Christ with others. Lord, I lift these things up to you today. I pray this for this congregation, for the ones watching on Facebook, online. Lord, we love you, we need you in our lives, and we lift all these things up to you in your son's precious name. Amen.